Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Midweek Bible Study 2023 Spring Edition. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, April 5th. Today, we're going to study 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, and we're going to talk about respecting human authority. In today's scripture passage, Peter explains to us that we are to live peacefully in society. As God's society and while living as foreigners, we are not called to rebellion, but to serve and, as Peter calls, repeatedly doing good. We're to be do-gooders, in other words, while living as foreigners. And our loyalty to Christ does not give us a license to rebel against other authorities. Of course, sometimes peace is not possible, but where there is, we are to live peacefully in this world. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, but before we do, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Lord and God, thank you for this amazing opportunity we have today. We're excited to be able to talk about respecting human authority. Lord, teach us what this means and how we can apply it to our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 13. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 13. And let's talk about respecting human authority. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but also if they're cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're being beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Alrighty, let's get to it, shall we? We'll start with verses 13 to 17, and let's talk about respecting people in authority. Verses 13 and 14, let's read those together. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Here's our opening question. What did this verse mean for the early Christians Peter was writing to, and what does it mean for us today? First of all, God is honored when we accept and respect those in authority over us. And we do this for the Lord's sake so that he's glorified by our orderly submission. Second, let's talk about the background here. Peter was speaking of the Roman emperor Nero, a very cruel ruler. The emperor was the supreme ruler over all Roman provinces, including the areas to which Peter addressed this letter. Remember back in the beginning of our study, those provinces were Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
Now, the Emperor Nero was considered the supreme authority by his subjects and was even worshipped by them. Christians should never worship the emperor, but they should obey his laws because he was an authority put in place by God, Romans 13, 1 and 2. But Peter was not telling believers to compromise their Holy Spirit-directed consciences. Remember, Peter had told the high priest years before in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than human authority. At other times, God had approved disobedience to human authorities. There's quite a few references here. I'll give you several. Exodus 1.17, Daniel 3, verses 13 through 18, and chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. Acts 4.18 to 20, and Hebrews 11.23. In those cases, the government had called upon God's people to sin against God, and God's people had to submit to the higher power, God himself. But in most aspects of daily life, it was desirable for Christians to live according to the law of the land, whether or not they agreed with the policies. Put simply, Christians were not to rebel against Rome. Roman law was the only restraint against lawlessness. In addition, it wouldn't take much for an imperial edict to fall on a group who had become known for causing unrest within the empire. The Christians' quiet submission might allow them to continue to spread the gospel freely. If they were to be persecuted, it should be for obeying God and not for breaking moral or civil law. Peter himself would later be put to death for his faith during Emperor Nero's intense persecution of Christians. Today, one-third of all Christians live in freedom, while the other two-thirds live under repressive governments. Scripture doesn't recommend one form of government over another. Instead, it simply asks Christians to accept the government under whose authority they find themselves and to cooperate with the rulers as far as the Holy Spirit-directed conscience will allow. Believers must do this for the Lord's sake, so that his good news and his people will be respected. Next up, verse 15. It reads, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. The question is, why would God ask Christians to submit to human authorities, even those who wrongfully accuse us or treat us unfairly? First, Peter spells it out, this is God's will. Peter isn't stating a personal philosophy or a practical strategy for living as persecuted people. He's telling Christians exactly what God wants them to do. Why does God want us to pursue goodness in this way? To silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Notice that Peter doesn't say that the end result of our submission to authority will be fair treatment or even freedom from harm. Instead, God plans to use our good choices to shut prejudiced people up. What does that mean? Those who know believers well enough to see our faith lived out on a day-to-day -day basis recognize that we do good because we're Christians. They will stop believing that Christians are a destructive force in society, or that Christians do evil, or that Christians are dangerous. They'll stop being ignorant about what Christians are really like, because they will know better by direct experience. And of course, that depends on Christians leading good lives out in the open, including being submissive to human authority. Verse 16, it says, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Here's the question. What does Peter mean when he writes, You are free, yet you are God's slaves? Here Peter is outlining a paradox of the Christian life. So what's a paradox, you might be asking? It's simply a contradiction of terms or something that's contrary to belief. For example, the statement, I'm not lying is a paradox because it means one cannot be telling the truth while saying that they're not lying. 
Peter is saying that Christians can live as free people, but must use their freedom to glorify God. We glorify God when we serve him faithfully. Believers are not free to do whatever they want to do or use their freedom as an excuse to do evil. We can't use freedom and forgiveness as a cloaking device for self-indulgence, adultery, or poor spending habits. Christ is our leader, beloved, and serving him provides our limits. Next up, verse 17. It reads, Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. The question is, what are the four ways that believers can live peacefully in the world, as shown in this verse? According to Peter, those four ways are, number one, to respect everyone. Number two, to love the family of believers. Number three, fear God. And number four, respect the king. The word respect means honor, value, or esteem. Believers should be especially conscious that God made all people in his image, whether or not they believe in Christ. While believers are to respect everyone, they've got an extra obligation to their Christian brothers and sisters. They're called to love them. The word for love is agapeo, which means intentional, self-sacrificial love. The believers of Peter's day needed to stand together as a unified force against coming persecution. They needed to maintain the bond of love. The fear of God means to show deep respect, reverence, and awe. While believers are to respect and love God as well, they are also to fear him. Proper fear leads to obedience. And lastly, they should show respect for the king, but they should fear God. When we honor the king, we should give the government its rights, what it owns, what it controls. But we may not give the government those rights that belong to God alone. Amen? Amen. Now, in this last section of verses, verses 18 to 25, Peter continues to talk about respecting human authority by talking about slaves and how they should respond to the authority over them. So let's go. Verse 18 says, You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Here's the question. How does Peter say Christian slaves were to respond to their respective masters? And how difficult would that be for them to do? As we just talked about, Peter had commanded believers to accept authority. Now he specifically addresses Christians who were slaves in pagan homes. The Greek word slave means a household servant. Peter called these servants to accept the authority of their masters, meaning that they should cooperate, be loyal, and willingly obey. It's important to note that God never ordained slavery as he ordained marriage in the family. And like Paul, Peter neither condemned nor condoned slavery. To attempt to rebel against the system would only bring the wrath of the powerful Roman Empire and would hurt the cause of the gospel. So the apostles suggested that the believers should live within the system, hoping to transform it by first transforming lives through salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter commanded that the believing slaves should simply serve well and show respect not just to Christian masters or to those who were kind and reasonable, but also to masters who were harsh. It would take God's grace for Christian slaves to be loyal and obedient, serving such a master. Peter encouraged loyalty and perseverance, even in the face of unjust treatment. Next up, verse 19. It reads, For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Here's the question. What does it mean when it says that these people were to patiently endure unjust treatment? And why is that important? 
Many of the people who would read Peter's letter were slaves who had become Christians, and they would have known all too well what it meant to be patient, enduring unjust treatment. It would please God if these believers trusted him as they endured pain, referring to mental, not physical anguish caused by unjust suffering. Being patient for the sake of their conscience means that they suffered. They were remembering God's care and love for them even as they suffered. They focused on the fact that they were suffering injustice as Christ had suffered injustice, and they knew that one day God would right all those wrongs. This gave them the proper attitude, enabled them to persevere, and kept their practice from being more passive acceptance. Next up, verse 20. It reads, Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Here's the question. What is Peter saying in this verse? What's this all about? In this verse, Peter clarifies that a Christian, slave or otherwise, receives no credit or commendation for pain that comes as a result of doing wrong. In other words, if a Christian slave is beaten or something that would be in rebellion to God's will, that's not commendable. We have to be careful here. As defined from a modern perspective, slavery itself is an evil thing. And certainly, beating a slave, even for wrongdoing, is also an evil thing. Again, these verses are not endorsing slavery or the beating of slaves. Instead, Peter is giving practical direction to Christians who are themselves slaves and who may be beaten by their masters. For instance, if that beating comes as a result of theft or rebellion, the Christian slave should not think of themselves as suffering in the same way Christ did. Jesus never suffered for wrongdoing. Suffering for sin is never favored by God, even if that suffering seems overly harsh or out of proportion with the sin. But suffering for doing what is right is commendable before God. In fact, the next verse is going to tell us exactly what we're called to do. So let's look at verse 21. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. The question is, in this verse, Peter makes a bold and surprising statement. What is it? Here, Peter says that all Christians are called to endure suffering for doing what is good. We are Jesus followers, after all, and that's what Jesus did. More to the point, Jesus endured pain and sorrow while doing good for us. He suffered for us, receiving beatings from Roman guards, being crucified on the cross, and bearing our sins in the act of love. Peter says Jesus' actions are meant to be an example for us to follow. Part of our purpose as Christians is enduring pain and sadness for doing good for the Lord's sake. However, this doesn't include suffering the natural consequences of our own sinful choices. Following in Jesus' steps often leads to suffering for doing what's right. When that happens, it indicates that our lives are going in the right direction and not that we have made a wrong turn and that God has abandoned us. Next up, verse 22, it says, He never sinned, nor even deceived anyone. The question simply is, in this verse, Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 9. What is his point? I would encourage you, from this point forward, we're going to have quite a few references in Isaiah 53. You might want to turn in your Bibles and go to Isaiah 53, particularly in this question. Look at verse 9, and then again, what is Peter's point by referencing Isaiah 53, 9? Isaiah's prophecy about the suffering of the coming Messiah is right here. Christ's suffering was completely unjust because he never sinned or deceived anyone. There was no good reason for his being condemned to death. Even Pilate saw that, John 19, 4. P 
Peter knew that Jesus was perfect from personal experience. He had lived and traveled with Jesus for three years. Intimate relationships often reveal the worst in people, but Peter had seen the truth of the prophet's words. Christ was completely sinless in his life and in his words. Next up, verse 23, it says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. The question is, this is another allusion to Isaiah 53, this time verse 7. What is he saying? Well, let me read verse 7 to you. It says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. So we can clearly see that Jesus did not retaliate, nor did he threaten. How tempting it must have been to expose the liars at his trial, to come down from the cross in a great display of power, or to blast his enemies with God's wrath. Now in the second part of that verse, Peter writes, He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. What does Peter mean? Jesus suffered patiently because he knew that God would have the final say. Jesus regarded God as sovereign, so he put the outcome of his life in God's hands. We can entrust ourselves and our sufferings into God's hands as well. Knowing that God will ultimately right all wrongs, that should be a great comfort to all of us who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And it helps us respond correctly when we are suffering and during that time. Next up, verse 24, it says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. The question is, this phrase continues from Isaiah 53. What does it mean? Only Christ himself, the sinless son of God, could bear our sins on the cross. Christ took the death penalty for our sin. He died in our place so that we wouldn't have to suffer the punishment that we deserve. In a transaction we can't even comprehend, God placed the sins of the world in Jesus Christ so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Because all our wrongdoing is forgiven, we are reconciled to God. All who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior can have this new life and live in union with him. Our evil desires, our bondage to sin, and our love of sin died with Christ on the cross. This is what's called substitutionary atonement. Jesus died as our substitute. His wounds have healed ours. Now, I'd like to add a note to this. The verse ends by quoting in Isaiah 53, verse 5, a profound play on words. Depending on your translations, it will say, by his stripes we are healed, or by his wounds you are healed. Now, the word stripes in the language of the King James Version of the Bible, and in some others, means wounds, as seen in the more modern translations like the NIV. These stripes were administered by whipping the bare backs of prisoners whose hands and feet were bound, rendering them helpless. The word healed, as translated from both Hebrew and Greek, can mean either spiritual or physical healing. However, the context of Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter chapter 2 make it absolutely clear that they're referring to spiritual healing and not physical healing. This verse is referring to sin and righteousness, not sickness and disease. Therefore, being healed in both these verses is speaking of being forgiven and saved, not being physically healed. And now our last verse for the day, verse 25, it reads, Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. 
The question is, this verse echoes Isaiah 53, verse 6, and is one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. What is Peter describing here? This verse again makes the point that we were not asking to be healed. Instead, we were moving away from God like wandering sheep. Sheep need the constant protection of a shepherd or they're going to wander away, following their noses and sometimes getting into great danger. People can be like that, wandering through life in whatever direction the circumstances might take them. But that was in the past. At conversion, each believer returns from going his or her own way, in other words, the way of sin. Peter described God as a shepherd who tirelessly looks after the sheep, guiding and protecting them. Whatever trials and difficulties they might face, the shepherd would always be by their side, and the guardian of their souls would protect and seal them for eternity. Isn't that amazing news? What a fantastic verse. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, beloved, then he is your Savior, the guardian of your soul. He is your shepherd. How cool is that? Well, that brings us to the end of our study today, and it was an amazing journey. Short as it may have been, still power-packed with lots of information. Here's a brief recap. Today's scripture passage revealed God's will for those who are free in Christ to willingly submit to every human authority for God's sake. This includes emperors, governors, kings, and even slave masters. Peter doesn't endorse slavery, but he does instruct Christian slaves to endure unjust suffering, as Jesus did for our sake on the cross. He does not expect us to obey when the instructions are sinful. Instead, Christians are called to imitate Christ by suffering for doing good. Because Jesus was willing to do so, we lost sheep are now under the protection of our shepherd. Next week, we're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and we'll be talking about God's people and their relationships. Definitely going to be a great study. I hope that you'll join us for that. Thanks for taking time to join me today. I'll be right back here next time. Until then, take care. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.